you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning, I'll give you somewhat of an introduction. Uh, Brother Merritt asked me to preach last week, and my heart was was already prepared for this. When uh, several years ago I preached through the 119th Psalm, or began preaching through, may have preached a message or two here, I do not remember. But uh, mostly at Victory Baptist Church in Batesville on Sunday nights, we went through the 119th Psalm. They called their pastor, and so I began filling in at Sand Springs, and I picked up there. Sunday mornings, we preached through the 119th Psalm. We finished there, and of course, they were without a pastor. And so uh, before finishing up with the 119th Psalm, I began praying about what God would have me to preach there at Sand Springs. And as you know, a church without a pastor is in a very vulnerable position. Um, Various things can happen. uh, Sometimes a pulpit committee or church can get impatient and can get tired of looking and just settle for somebody that they don't need as pastor. Uh, Or they can look for the wrong things. They can look for somebody that's a good orator or somebody that's a good organizer. And those those are... are good to have in a pastor, but that's not the focal point in searching for a pastor. The focal point in searching for a pastor is what uh, Paul writes here and tells Timothy in verse 17. He calls him the man of God. That's what you want as a pastor. And now I'm not suggesting that charity needs a pastor. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you where we're going tonight. And so my heart was settled on chapter 3 starting in verse 14 and then through chapter 4, verse 5, and we began to look at the man of God. What should a church be looking for? What do you look for in a leader, in a pastor, in a man that's going to be standing and and preaching the Word week after week? He needs to be given to the Scriptures. Over and over, Paul mentions here the Scriptures. That's the focal point of preaching. Uh, Of course, pastoring, you're you're an under-shepherd, you oversee things, you have to organize things, but the focal point is what we're doing here tonight, is opening the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, preaching true doctrine, not false doctrine, searching diligently to find out what is false and what is not, and not not grabbing hold of false doctrine and and leading people in in a direction they shouldn't go. And so... Uh, began preaching this section of verses. We spent seven, eight weeks or so uh, on those verses. And uh, we hit something at the end of verse 5 that just really kind of stuck with me. And so oftentimes we look at the ministry, we think of the ministry as being the pastor's job or an evangelist's job. Or maybe sometimes we'll even think of the music part of it. And the music is part of the ministry. We'll look at that in just a few minutes. But we may give thought to the piano player and the, the choir leader and the, and the music leader. We may give some thought to those things. But generally we think of the pastor. Or we think of an evangelist. Or we think of maybe even a missionary. But the truth is every one of us are to be involved in ministry. And so that man of God there, yes, the pastor should be the man of God, but all of us as men should be men of God. All of, all of the ladies in the church should be women of God, wholly given to the Scriptures, wholly given to God's will for their life, and to ministering to other people. And so when Brother Merritt asked me to preach, that, that phrase just kept coming back into my mind. My heart's been 
uh, been really on this, this phrase for some time now. So we'll start in verse 14 of chapter 3. We'll read through verse 5 of chapter 4, and then we'll get into the message. Paul says, but, in verse 14, if you look tonight when you get home or later in the week, you'll go back and look at what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about perilous times, chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. He's talking about difficult times and situations. He mentions the last days. We know that we're in the last days. I'm looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ any day now. I pray for it. I look forward to it. Uh, I pray that I'm alive when the rapture takes place. I wouldn't mind living my life out in a natural state. I wouldn't mind going through the grave. I wouldn't look, I'm not necessarily looking forward to it because you don't know how you're going to go in the grave. And so you may, you may experience great pain, great torment, suffering, or you may go quickly. I'm looking for the rapture. I want the Lord to come back. And uh, I would love to be alive when the trumpet sounds. I'd love to hear my name called and just be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. But that may not be the case. I do pray for the Lord to come back. I look forward to him coming back. Paul did the same thing. Peter did the same thing. They thought the Lord would come in their day. Of course, we know that he has not returned yet. He has not raptured his church out. But that doesn't mean that we're not to look forward to it. That doesn't mean that we can be as the scoffers and say, well, he hasn't come, so that's a promise he's not going to fulfill. It is a promise he's going to fulfill. But in the last days before the rapture takes place, perilous times shall come. And Paul begins to tell Timothy what he's going to have to deal with in his ministry, that there's going to be those that are going to make fun of Christ, or there are going to be those that are going to make fun of the church, they're going to make fun of preachers and preaching. Uh, they're going to um, not believe the fundamentals of the faith that we hold dear. And they're going to make fun of it. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, get ready for it. It's coming. But I love the word that he says there in verse 14. He says, but. And he says, but continue thou. That does not give us the excuse to drop the ball. It doesn't give us an excuse to quit. Or to not continue to preach, not continue to witness. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That perfection there, we know none of us are going to be perfect this side of glory. When the Lord does call us home, or when he does come back and get his, get his church and we're changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll get our glorified body then. We won't be, we won't be bound by sin anymore. We won't have to deal with, with wicked thoughts and bad emotions and and all those things, we won't have to deal with it anymore. The perfection he's talking about there is completeness. Completeness. To be perfect and complete in what God has called him to do. Number, verse number 1 of chapter 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We see a charge that takes place there. 
or that Paul gives Timothy, then we see a crime that takes place. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. We're seeing that in our day, are we not? I mean, we're not just seeing it, it's running rampant. Churches following false doctrine, people that would rather hear stories and other things like that rather than the word being preached. But then we find the care of the church in verse 5, and this is what I'd like to look at tonight. Paul tells Timothy to take a specific care of the church. And he says, but watch thou in all things. That's everything. That's in his life, in his congregation's life. He's to watch. When trouble comes in, the pastor ought to be able to recognize that and keep a watchful eye on it. And then he says, not only watch in all things, endure afflictions. It's coming. It's going to happen. It's just a natural part of the process. So get ready for it. Do the work of an evangelist. We often think of an evangelist as, as, as a traveling preacher. The evangelistic work there is a traveling preacher, but its, its sole purpose is preaching the gospel to the lost. Now, we're also to preach and teach saved folks, obviously. That's where you learn doctrine. Paul has mentioned doctrine here in our text. But then he says something that just stuck with me. He said, make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry. And that's what I'd like to look at tonight. Make full proof of thy ministry. So where are you in your ministry? You say, Brother Chris, am I to have a ministry? Absolutely, you're to have a ministry. Every child of God is part of the ministry and is to take on the ministry in some capacity. It's not just a preacher. I understand this is an elder preacher writing to a younger preacher, but all Scripture is profitable, is it not? That's what we just read in our text. Every child of God is to be involved in the ministry. Every child of God is to take on the ministry or some aspect of the ministry. And so my question to you tonight is, where are you in your ministry? What are you doing for the church? What are you doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll begin to preach the message. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here tonight. We pray to God for Brother Merritt and other men that are standing tonight in the pulpit and preaching. Lord, I pray that you would uh, empower them, that your Holy Spirit would touch them. Lord, I pray for myself tonight as I stand before your people. I pray, Lord, that you give them... And help them in what, you, Lord, you've given me and what you've done in my heart with this text. Father, I thank you for saving me. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. But, God, thank you for putting us into the ministry. Thank you for letting us having a part in, in what you've done and what you're doing. Thank you for using men, mortal men, sinful men, even to accomplish your will. God, I pray that you'd give us a heart to do and to live and to say things that are pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, we'll look at two things tonight. First off, we'll look at the text itself and kind of understand some things about what Paul is writing. And then we'll look at it in application. Because application is where the rubber meets the road, right? It's where, it's where we apply it to our lives. And so first off, I'd like to look at this word ministry. Ministry just means service. It means a minister... Uh, it means service. It means a minister is a servant. A servant. We get the, the mindset, well, I'm saved. I'm done. I come to church. That's, that's all I've got to do. You understand that 
that coming to church is not service. This is not serving God. This is worshiping God. We come here to worship. Service takes place outside these walls. And so if we're going to be a servant, we're going to have to, be, we're going to, have to do a service or be a servant outside of here. Uh, early in my ministry, I began to learn that, that people honestly thought, Christians honestly thought that coming to church was their service to God. If you came, say, Sunday morning and you got Sunday school and preaching hour out of the way and then you came Sunday night and then Wednesday night, those four hours or five hours, depending on however long your, your pastor preaches, that that was my service for the week. I'm done. That's not service. When we come here, we come here to worship. And just as a side note, our minds ought to be focused on worship. When we go to, the, when we go to church, uh, especially on Sunday mornings, most of the time we are listening only to gospel music. Now tonight, I had, had talk radio on. I had some things going on in my mind. I was talking with the boys. But generally, when I'm going to church, I'm listening to gospel music or I'm listening to preaching because it gets my mind off of the world and focused on what I'm going to do, and that's to worship God. But this is not service. The word is deaconia, uh, which is where we get our word deacon. That's what a deacon is for. A deacon is a servant of the church. And so when he's talking about ministry here, that word comes from that same word. It means a servant. And to have that service attitude. Jesus came to minister, not to be ministered unto. Jesus came to be a servant, to be a minister. And we think about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is a minister of God. There's 12 ministries of the Holy Spirit. One is He draws the unsaved person to Christ. Two, He convicts both believers and unbelievers of sin. Three, He regenerates our spirit. When we're born again, He comes in and He's what makes us alive unto God. Number four, He draws us closer to the Lord. Thank God for that. As a Christian, we, we not only can drift away, but there's times that, that we may be away from God, not even realize how far away from the Lord we are. And the Holy Spirit will draw us closer unto the Lord. He sanctifies us in the Lord. A lot of people think sanctification is some wrong on the ladder to be achieved. It's not. Sanctification is a natural process of yielding to the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us in the Lord. He helps us in prayer. I don't even know what to pray for. Sure, I have a list of names, but earnestly, I don't know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit, that's part of His ministry, is giving me what to pray for and how to pray. Number seven... He guides us in all truth. People say, well, I can't understand the King James Bible. It may be because they're lost and they don't have the Holy Spirit inside them. I know there's some things that you have to study, some things that you don't understand, some things we may never understand about Scripture. I don't understand why God does the way He does. But as far as the truth of the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is what guides us in all truth. He teaches us all things. He will anoint us with power. He will be our comforter. Thank God for that. There's times that, that you'll go through something that only the Holy Spirit of God can be your help and your comforter. He gives us gifts. These are spiritual gifts, of course. He doesn't bring us a chocolate cake and say, there you go. He brings us spiritual gifts. 
that aid us. And then he brings fruit in our lives. Uh, a couple years ago, Brother Merritt preached on the person uh, of the Holy Spirit. And he, he talked uh, for several weeks about the fruit in our lives and the gifts in our lives that the Holy Spirit brings. There's 12 parts to the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus ministered, the Holy Spirit ministers, and even though you can't necessarily turn to a text where it says that, God the Father ministers. I mean, if you think back in the Old Testament when, when Moses, there were times that Moses uh, was very upset with the children of Israel. And that God actually, that there were times that Moses stood in between God. God said, get out of the way, Moses, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses said, well, what would it look like to these heathen nations if you brought these people out of Egypt into the wilderness just to destroy them? But there were also times that God stood in between Moses and the people. Because Moses said, God, just kill them all. <laughs> I'm tired of dealing with them. They're nothing but a bunch of heathen. Just kill them all. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kill them all. So there were times that, that God even stood in between Moses and the people. And I, th- I can't help but think of Jonah. You know, Jonah, God stood in between the Ninevites and Jonah. Because Jonah didn't want to go preach. The reason Jonah didn't want to go preach is because he hated the Ninevites. Once it was all over with and they repented and everybody got right, Jonah stood back and he looked and he said, See, I told you, Lord. I knew they were going to get right. That's why I didn't want to come preach to them. I wanted them to perish. I wanted them to go to hell. But God said no. And so God intervened and God stood in between. And my point is this. If the Godhead can minister to us, and if the Godhead can minister to lost people, then shouldn't we be that much more excited and involved in being in the ministry ourselves? We see angels in the Scriptures. The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits. Angels were, uh, in the Old Testament, to the old Jews, angels were held up so high they were only below God Himself. That's what they thought of angels. Of course, we had to be reminded in the New Testament that we are better than the angels. But angels are ministering spirits. I wonder how many times you've been this close to being involved in an accident. But God had an angel there. God had an angel to help you. They are ministering spirits. They're gophers, if you will, for God. Brother Chapman will know what I'm talking about because in the construction business, he probably hires people, or I know he hires people from time to time that don't know a lot about construction work. And, and greenhorns or, or greenies, as you might call them, they're called gophers on the job side, are they not? Because they go for this and they go for that. If, if, uh, if Brother Warren's up in an attic needs a half-inch drill bit and an electric cordless drill, he says, hey, he doesn't have time to climb down and get it. He sends the gopher after it. Go get it and bring it to me. And so the angels are God's gophers, so to speak. They do what God wants them to do. And it involves ministering unto us. How many times have you uh, come through something and wondered how you made it through? And I wonder if God sent a ministering spirit. If God sent an angel there to keep watch over you and to help you through it. So if angels are ministering spirits, and we've been born again by the blood of the Lamb, should not we be so much more excited and interested in the work of the ministry? So there's ministry. Let's look at proof. 
there are several definitions to the word proof. Uh, there's, there's four that I've written down here. One is any effort, process, or operation that ascertains truth or fact. That ascertains truth or fact. A trial, essay, or experiment, some sort of operation that ascertains truth or fact. Many Christians never get involved in the ministry because they just fail to try. They just never get started. Our ministry ought to testify to the truth and the fact of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what ministry is. In law, the degree of evidence which convinces the mind of certainty of truth or fact. In ministry, it ought to be Christ-oriented. Ministry ought to be Christ-oriented. Does it testify to the truth of the Scriptures? The truth of the gospel being the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the witnessing of the resurrection. The importance of the church. That is ministry. Um, firmness or hardness that resists impression or yields not to force. Many Christians start out involved in ministry, but then they quit. But then they quit. I know we face troubles and problems. Again, we read the first verse of chapter 4 where Paul says to be ready for it. Perilous times are coming. Men are going to make fun of us. Men are, let's, let's look at that right quick. Uh, not chapter 4, chapter 3. Look at verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. They'll hate you. They'll hate you for good works. They'll hate you. Some folks will hate you for being in the ministry. They don't even know you. Um, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Reprobate. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was, speaking of Jannes and Jambres. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecutions and problems are coming. We see preachers getting out of the ministry. We see Sunday school teachers that say, well, I once taught, years ago I taught Sunday school, but then they quit. They get out of it. People that say, well, I was faithful to church. I used to go on Wednesday nights, but you know, it just, just got too cumbersome. Uh, I have to get up early on Thursday mornings, and, and preachers just got more and more long-winded on Wednesday nights, so I just don't go anymore. People stop ministering. They get out of it because they don't see the purpose in it. Paul talks about all those 
that he's going to face, that Timothy's going to face, that he had faced, all the problems that Timothy's going to deal with. He mentions those in verses 11 and 12 that Timothy's going to deal with, he has dealt with, but he says there, you've known my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. Paul said, in spite of all that, it's worth it to be in the ministry. It's just nothing like being in the ministry. Firmness of mind, stability, not shaken is another definition. Some Christians' ministry become dead because they become involved in false teaching, false doctrines. They get swept away, if you will, in some, some false doctrine, and so their ministry begins to die because it's not based on truth. Proof. Paul says, make full proof of thy ministry. We're to prove ourselves, but we're also to see the proof of God's working in our ministry. If there's no fruit in it, then God may not be in it. We're to be careful as to what we do, not just to do what's popular or what other churches are doing, but we're to concentrate on what God wants us to do. Notice, Paul not only says, make full proof of thy, or make proof of thy ministry, but he says to make full proof of thy ministry. Full just means to carry out, to completely assure, entirely accomplish. Paul doesn't say, make proof of thy ministry. He says, make full proof of thy ministry. You get in it, don't get out. You get started, carry it out. See it through. Don't quit. We live in an age of people that quit. They have no desire to see anything through. I often wonder if our military is even going to make it because... I, I'm surprised some people don't get off the bus and by the end of that day they're screaming, crying, ready to go home. I hope the drill sergeants tell them, no, you've signed on that dotted line. You're not going anywhere. But we, at work we've had people hire on and quit on a first shift or quit the first week. People just quit now. They don't see anything through. We see it in homes. We see it. In businesses, but sadly we see it in churches. People get started in the ministry and then don't see it through. Make full proof of thy ministry. See it through. Whatever God's called you to do, do it. Do it with fervency, but don't get out of it. There's going to be times when things are going to be difficult. You're going to face hard situations and hard times, but don't quit. Secondly, by application... Let's look at what Paul's talking about and telling Timothy here. There's four types of ministry. Four types of ministry. There's a public ministry. In the Old Testament, there were some people that were very public. Um, Moses was one of those. Moses tried to hide, but God didn't let him hide. Remember, Moses ran off and he hid on the backside of the mountains. And God said no. And God took him out of that and he put him forefront right in the middle of Egypt. And right in front of God's people. Moses wanted nothing to do with it. But God said, I want you to do it. And so he put him right back in the public. Right back in front of Pharaoh and the land that he had just fled from. Remember, he killed the Egyptian and fled. God put him right back into it. And not only was he there to testify of God's goodness against the Egyptians, but he was there to lead God's people out into freedom where they could serve God. Noah. We took a trip up 
a couple years ago to Kentucky to see the ark. If you've never seen it, you need to go see it. It's an amazing sight. And I know he didn't have skill saws screaming, and he didn't have hammers banging, but when Noah was building that ark, there's no way you could hide that ark. If you pull up there in Kentucky to see that ark, you park, and they take you down a holler and back up another hill to the other side. You don't even drive up to the ark. But when you park on that hillside, that's the only thing you can see is that huge ark standing out there. Noah, for over 100 years, preached. He preached verbally, but he preached in how he was building that ark too. Because the Bible says to that point they hadn't even seen rain yet. And Noah was saying, there's rain coming. There's rain coming. What is rain, Noah? I don't know, but it's coming. So I'm building this ark. God said build this ark. I'm building this ark. He had a very public ministry. Everybody around there thought Noah was crazy. Everybody around there thought Noah was out of his mind until God sealed that door and he started pouring water from the heavens. And then we find out Noah wasn't as crazy as everybody thought he was. And then there's some New Testament people. New Testament, Peter, remember, preached, and thousands were saved. Thousands were added to the church. Thousands. Could you imagine if if thousands were saved and thousands were added, how many ten thousands did he preach to? And then Paul. Paul had a very public ministry. There was parts of his ministry that were private, but the majority of it was public. The things that Paul wrote... We still glean from today. We don't just glean from it, we cling to it. Our doctrine is based on what Paul wrote. So Paul had a very public ministry. Today, we think of music ministries, preaching, teaching. Those are all public ministries. Some ministries are very public, but number two, some ministries are very private. Private ministries in the Old Testament. I couldn't help but think, of the woman at Jericho, Rahab, that helped the two spies, remember? The Bible says that she took them up on the roof and that she made a deal with them. She says, I've shown you kindness. You spare not only me, but my family. You know what that implies? I bet her family didn't even know what she had done for them. Even her family probably had no idea what she was doing and why she had done it. I wonder how many prayer warriors there are that have prayed for kids and grandkids and sat up at night and wept over the souls of their children and their grandchildren and the health of those that they love. Nobody knows about it, but they know. God knows. Their family members themselves might not even know. I know my grandmother, uh, my cousin and I, uh, we were the only two grandchildren that she had. And I was not raised in church, but my grandmother took my cousin and I to church and wanted to keep us in church. And I remember when my mother started going. My mother was saved when I was about 10. But my grandmother used to weep over me and my cousin. And my grandmother used to pray over me and my cousin because we were a bunch of lost heathens. She wanted to see us saved, and she wanted to see us in church. Now, some years later, Kayla was, we were married, and Kayla was born before I ever got saved. But I often wonder if some angel or the Lord himself went to my grandmother and said, He got saved. 
Not only that, but sometime later went to her and said, the Lord's called him to preach. All those prayers, and she lived and died, and never knew in this world. Never knew. Don't ever stop praying. New Testament. Think of Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18. Read Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28 sometime this week. Priscilla and Aquila ran across a guy named Apollos. And the Bible says that they expounded the word unto him more perfectly. They, they pulled him to themselves and they said, look, let us teach you some things about God. They, they pulled him aside and said, let us, let us teach you the scriptures. Let us teach you about the Lord. Let us teach you about doctrine. Let us teach you about the church. It was a private ministry. And we know that they were involved in other aspects of ministry because they were very close to Paul. They were tent makers. And so Paul traveled with these folks and dealt with these folks many times. But they had a very private ministry. The scriptures don't speak a whole lot about them, but God has still recorded what they've done in the history of the scriptures. Uh, today, private ministries, things such as hospitality. Who cleans the church? Who takes care of the church? I'm sure Brother Merritt could, could tell you there's been many a times in the in the past, in his ministry, where he and his wife spent Saturdays cleaning the church so they could have church on Sunday because nobody else would step up and do it. Who cuts the grass? We drive by and we see the grass cut. We see the parking lot blown off, but who does it? Most people never know. It's a, it's a private ministry. Who straightens up the hymnals? Who picks the gum out from underneath the pews? That's private ministry. What about counseling? taking somebody aside and helping them. Things that, that doesn't need to be made public or known of. That, that's private ministry. And then there's not only public ministry and private ministry, but there's proof ministry. We all want to hear, hear, well done, now good and faithful servant, right? I do. Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 25, verses 21 and 23, both times he says, well done, now good and faithful servant. We want to hear that, right? But what did those servants do? They took the talents that they were given and they used them for God. That's a proof ministry. But sadly, there's a proofless ministry. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're, we're about to close. We're about to dismiss. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at two verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or what? Bad. That means there's going to be some bad things we do that are going to come up at the judgment seat of Christ. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. 
For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Our works are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Our sin has already been judged, but our work is yet to be judged. And 2 Corinthians talks about whether it be good or bad. Here it talks about a foundation. The foundation is laid. The foundation is made. The foundation is sure. Our works are built on that foundation. And what abides from those works through the fire is how we're going to receive reward or lose reward. Paul said we all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm afraid the judgment seat's not going to be the party a lot of people think it is. We have the mindset, well... I'm going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to receive this reward or that reward. There are five crowns we know of given in Scripture. I'm, I'm getting that crown. Well, we may not. Because if we sought to get that crown for the wrong reasons, it's going to burn. It's, not, it's going to be on the right foundation, but the structure itself is going to be no good. The Bible says over in Revelation towards the end, after all the judgment is wrapped up, that God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. I believe a lot of Christians are going to see lost loved ones cast into hell and our tears are going to have to be wiped away. But I believe a lot of us as well are going to look back on our lives and say, you know, I wish I'd have done more. I wish I'd have done this. Or I wish I'd have done that. And I didn't do it. I want to look at one more thing. Paul says to make full proof of thy ministry. It's a personal ministry. It's Timothy's ministry. Now don't misunderstand me. I know it's all about Christ. I understand that. But it's Timothy's ministry. It's Brother Merritt's ministry. It's Brother Chris's ministry. Each and every one of us have a ministry to carry out. God calls each and every one of us to be a part of it. So my question to you tonight is this. Where are you in your ministry? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Don't misunderstand me. Charity Baptist Church is a very ministry-minded church. I am so thankful for Charity Baptist Church. You've been good to me. You've been patient with me. And I thank you. I may not even be in the ministry now. Who knows? I may have been one of those that quit. And you've sat here for years and listened to me cry. You've listened when there was times I couldn't preach. Maybe you could just read scripture. You have a heart for preachers. Some of that comes from Brother Merritt. Brother Merritt has a heart for preachers. 
Some of it is just the foundation of this church. I believe its name is its name for a reason. I believe some of those foundations were laid even before Brother Merritt came. This church takes part in a ministry for preachers. Don't ever lose that. As a whole, this church is very much involved in ministry. Look at the missionaries. Look at the evangelists that we support. I thank you, Charity Baptist Church. Don't ever lose that. But you have a ministry. Paul told Timothy, make full proof of thy ministry. It's yours. So, Brother Chris, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't either. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But my encouragement to you is this. If you're not involved, get involved. My sister went through something several years ago, and I promise I'm about to close. She went through something years ago that had her down and had her, had her really, uh, it was just a really tough time. She used to call me and talk about it. And, and I finally told her one time, I said, look, you need a hobby. <laughs> you go to work, and then you go home, and you sit there in those four walls, and it's just eating you up. I said, you need a hobby. Or better yet, get involved in the ministry. She loves children. She, she's finally pregnant, finally about to have her own child. She's, she's so elated over it because she's always wanted a child. But I told her, you love children Start a ministry for children. Get, get, make up a fruit basket, a couple fruit baskets, and go to St. Jude or t- buy some toys and wrap them up and go to Labonner and minister to those people. That's what ministry is. We get so wrapped up in our own problems and in our own trials and our own troubles. If we could ever look at somebody else that's hurting worse than we are, those people at St. Jude and Le Bonner, they are they are leaving jobs and leaving homes and staying there for weeks, sometimes months at a time, suffering. Their children are dying in front of their eyes. I said, get involved in the ministry. I encourage you, Charity Baptist Church tonight, get involved in the ministry. Paul said, it's worth it. And that's what he's trying to tell Timothy. You're going to endure afflictions. You're going to face problems. You're going to have trials and troubles. But it's so worth it. So Charity Baptist Church, we prepare for an invitation stand. Make full proof of thy ministry. Make it a personal ministry. Charity loves preachers and they're involved in the lives of preachers. They're involved in the lives of missionaries. Pick out a missionary right to that missionary. Let that missionary know that you love him, not Charity Baptist Church, that you pray for him, not Charity Baptist Church, that you think about him, that you are concerned about him, that you love him. Take an evangelist and write that evangelist or text that evangelist and let them know that you love them and you are praying for them. That one that you mention every Wednesday night, write them, text them. Say, preacher, I love you. I'm praying for you. You get involved in the ministry. Miss Hannah.